This is Alan Arnold, and you're listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. This is part four, the final session in our series we call Interpreting Your Life. And I hope you've enjoyed as much as we have the chance really to to dive into a topic that influences every aspect of our life, which is how we see things, how we take in all that happens around us. The power of interpretation or misinterpretation is huge, but I also hope that you've enjoyed the chance to hear Craig's voice again, just the joy and the insights and the wisdom that he has to offer. We're airing this series specifically now to honor Craig McConnell as we just remember and celebrate him. He passed into the kingdom August 1st of 2016. And so I hope you enjoy the last session, part four. I had an episode last week that required interpretation that was just brutal. I had a trip that I needed to take that had ministry implications and involvement to it. And the weather here was foul and we were in the midst of a snowstorm and it was, you know, sub-zero temperatures. And I just thought, oh man, the roads tomorrow are going to be brutal. It's going to drive up, you know, the hour and a half from Colorado Springs to the Denver airport and just take a direct flight out and prayed about it was really trying to hear Christ on this. And so I prayed about it. Stacy prayed about it. Really felt like Jesus was in it. And I was going to surrender and not go. I was going to kind of let the weather and the fear of super icy roads push me off of this. But I felt like Jesus said, no, 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 don't surrender this. Like, make the choice to hang in there and I'll be with you. So I did. Got up the next morning and he was right. The roads were not heinous. You know, they were not great, but it was not the ice rink that I feared. And so prayed my daily prayer on the way up to Denver, worship on in the car, you know, praying for the trip, got friends praying for the trip, and then just all kinds of thwarting and opposition and kind of chaos began to enter in, hit this unexpected traffic, burned 45 minutes up going two miles. And then because it was minus 18 outside, windshield wiper fluid froze. And my windshield now, it's like bacon grease. It's just, you know, (laughs) dangerous, you know. And then I get to the airport and a bunch of flights canceled the day before. And so you didn't have the natural egress of people coming in and getting their cars and leaving. You had days of like bottleneck. I've never encountered this before. There was literally no parking. And I'm racing from one parking lot to another, trying to find any place. I was even looking at illegal places to park, you know, trying to estimate what the ticket would be and if it would be worth me, you know, just thwarting, thwarting, thwarting. And I run into a parking lot attendant. He's like, no, 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 you're going to be okay. You're not going to miss your flight. Down on level one, there's some parking left. I go down on level one, there's no parking lot. You know, it's just thwarting, thwarting, thwarting. Then finally, I miss my flight while I'm still in my car. Not going to give up. I'm going to call my assistant, Stacy, the travel agent, somebody, try and get a new flight. My phone won't work. Just out of the blue, in the midst of all this chaos going on, can't see out my windshield, miss my flight, phone won't work, warfare's all over. Finally, I just pull over and I'm like, Jesus, you got to help. And anyway, it was nasty. I missed the trip. Didn't happen. Got blocked. Got thwarted. Didn't go. There's not a great breakthrough story here. What was brutal was, Jesus, I need interpretation of this now. I don't get this story. 
because what's being most assaulted is, I thought I heard from you. I thought I heard from you. And so knowing the way these things work, here's how I prayed. I said, Jesus, I need interpretation, but I also recognize it's probably not going to come in this moment of crisis. Mm -hmm. So please, please bring me interpretation as soon as you can, as soon as I'm able to receive it, whatever. In the meantime, I need to find you, God. And so, you know, turn around, drove home and spent that time praying just myself back into God because I was thrown pretty hard because I had asked so hard. You know, if, if I hadn't asked, I'd had an easy interpretation. Well, you didn't ask God. He wasn't in it, got blocked. Those things happened. But, you know, I really needed to find my way back to God, just saying, look, I don't get it, but I still love you. I need you. Come for me. Restore our relationship. Dial me back in. And then, Craig, it was the next day, still had any interpretation. You were in my office and, yes, whoa, what happened yesterday? We were all praying for you. What happened? And Mm -hmm. so I told you the details of the trip. And what was so beautiful is you, sitting outside the story, were able to bring almost immediate interpretation. And was that just your hunch or did you feel like that was from God? Or like, that was amazing how quickly you were able to go, here's what I think happened. Yeah, well, as you were telling the story, I mean, I think it was God because I immediately was aware that I was reacting to your story very different than you were telling it. You were telling a story of confusion. Where was God in this? I felt like I was doing the very thing God had asked and wanted me to do. And you know how there have been times in the past where you haven't pushed through to do what God is asking you to do. You can, you know, find a reason not to. And how rich and deep some of the intimacy with God and struggle with God is. And you're sharing that. And I'm inside just feeling this huge smile and sensing from God that ah, this is actually This is actually a time of profound validation. God the Father over you as his son of pushing through and taking ground that it would have been easy to avoid. And I just sense the joy of God, which is entirely different feeling than what you were experiencing. (laughs) Right. And then felt like he'd given me a picture of what was going on and it was a young boy playing baseball and who was hesitant to go up to bat and did go up to bat and you know with the father's encouragement as he was in the batter's box he got hit by a pitch which is pretty bruising and intimidating and frightening and brushed back and he may have flied out or singled out that wasn't a clear part of the picture as i recall but This episode in the batter's box would look like a failure to anyone else, but to his father, it was an absolute success that he went up, got into the box, and took his swings, and he got bruised, he got wounded, he got hit really hard, but he was there, he was in the game. And I just had this sense, John, that what could be interpreted is the enemy thwarting and just no good came out of it while the enemy was involved and you took some hits and there was confusion that actually, John, 
your driving up there was an act of absolute surrender, devotion, intimacy with God, and an act of repentance, and that you following through was just huge in God's pleasure, and you took a hit, and the enemy was just immediately involved trying to rob you of the validation and the joy and the intimacy in how you were living and making it all about thwarting, you know, all of that. Well, and what helps so much in the picture and in the interpretation was, I thought the warfare was about the trip. And it made no sense, frankly, because it wasn't like I was going to go do a boot camp. It was a significant trip, but not big. Yeah. But then for you to reframe it and say, oh, no, the warfare had nothing to do with where you were going. Right. It had to do with the decisions you were making not to surrender and not to be backed down. And what you don't know is that, like, I've got a whole story with baseball and with failing there. And you've never even heard those mm-hmm. stories. And God gives you that picture. It ends up being this five-day journey for the mm-hmm. next five days with God over, oh, my goodness, this decision to back down, don't take a full swing, goes back to my childhood. You know, God brings all kinds of redemption in this. I thought the interpretation was battle around the trip, where in fact the interpretation was battle around the internal decisions to walk with God and shove those down and, you know, hit you with a pitch, you know, thwarting against that. Huge, 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 huge. And when you get into that mixture of internal confusion, distress, and external warfare coming against you, it's just nasty and crying out for interpretation. And then what a difference interpretation makes. Yeah. Craig, as we were talking about wrapping up this series on interpretation, what do you want to say? What's on your heart? Yeah, I think we've said it a couple times, but to say it again, John, is that our reactions, our emotions, our understanding and the choices that we make generally are all a result of how we're interpreting our world, how we're interpreting events. You know, if the bang at night that I hear If I interpret that as a uh, robber coming through a basement window to steal, that's going to create a blood pressure and anxiety and some choices and actions that are far different than if I interpret that as, oh, the wind blew over a chair on the patio. I mean, I'm just going to roll over and go right back to sleep. Right. And so we are interpreting our world. The issue is, what lens, what categories are we using to interpret it correctly, rightly, from a kingdom perspective? Huge. You are interpreting mm-hmm. all the time, gang. Whether you are aware of it or not, you're interpreting the expression on people's faces. You're interpreting the tone of their text and what they really meant by that email. <laughs> you know, you... <laughs> You're interpreting emotions that are coming through you, things that are washing over you. You just, you are interpreting your world all the time. You're drawing conclusions about God, his involvement, what he's up to. You're drawing conclusions about the enemy, if he's engaged or a part of this, if you're on your own. It's huge. And your interpretations have consequences. Mm -hmm. 
you know, what was so vicious about what was going on before I had your interpretive help was the enemy was just attacking my relationship with God and just see, you don't hear from God and you take that away from me. Like, whew, at this point in my journey, you know, hearing from God is everything for me. It's how I guide ransomed heart. It's, you know, it's just massive. And so your interpretations have very significant consequences. I think that's kind of want to say that. And therefore, what are you using? Yeah. What are the categories that you're thinking in as you interpret relationships, internal chaos, God? career, I mean, all kinds of things. John, let me throw out a couple of categories and you react to them, okay? A couple of the categories we've hit on is that ask Christ for his interpretation. Go to God. What's going on? What do you have to say? What's happening here, Lord? What's really going on would be one. And as with my story, give him some time to respond. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, if you're in an urgent distress, you're probably not going to get the interpretation in that moment. So ask, seek, cry out for interpretation, and give a little breathing room for him to bring it. Yeah, and as we said, sometimes that may be years before you get the full or inaccurate, but he always will speak into what's going on in your life. The second thing I'd say is develop a biblical grid from which you can gain a wisdom to interpret your life. I mean, get to know God's Word, which gives you new categories, examples. So a biblical understanding gives you a grid by which you know you're on solid ground in interpreting your world. And just by way of example, over the years, you and I have had a number of conversations about the nature of sin. And we've moved from a model where sin is primarily about behavior to a model where sin is primarily about where you look for life apart from God. It's issues of the heart. It's issues of unbelief, idolatry. And just to have that grid as you're listening to someone else's story and going, oh, I hear you. I know you think it's all about your circumstances, but I can see in your life ways in which you are chasing life apart from God. And so just having some of those kind of basic biblical grid categories gives you so much clarity as you're interpreting your own world and as you're helping other people interpret theirs. Yeah, I don't think we'd have a category of warfare without God's Word, just emphasizing that we have an enemy and a thief, I mean, and directing us to fight. It's huge. Yeah. The third one, John, is when it comes to interpreting our world life circumstances is the one you just illustrated is, I think we need to be known and listened to by a community of people who know us. You've written in a number of books is, we need others to help us interpret our life. So we need to be connected to some community of people who know us, our story, what God's doing, and can speak into that. And again, don't go to despair. Friends, mm-hmm. don't go to despair that you don't have that. By community, I mean, it may be one person. Right. And over time, our story of community has changed, evolved, grown, and sometimes it's felt rich, and sometimes it's felt barren. Mm-hmm. Don't despair on that. You seek 
it. You look for it. But the other day, you know, it was one person. It was you. Mm -hmm. I just needed someone else's eyes on the story. I think another big category, and maybe one that we can kind of wrap up with, is context. Mm. I think if you have the category of context, it will help you so much in the interpretation of particular events or internal chaos or relational issues or whatever it may be. The people who live right now in Afghanistan operate with a certain context, just very different from the people that live in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And the people in Dallas, because they don't live in Afghanistan, can make assumptions about life and dreams and desires and actions that they take and the necessity of prayer or not praying, the necessity of caution or not caution that people living in Afghanistan couldn't operate with, yeah. right? And I think most Christians think we live in Dallas when your context is Afghanistan. Like, really? You live in Afghanistan. And if you believed that, how would it shape your interpretation of things like disappointments Mm -hmm. or pain, heartache, suffering? Yes. Right? It would help you interpret. So context is everything, gang. And let me give you two pieces of context. Craig, you and I talk about it. First is you live in Afghanistan. You live in a world at war. And only as you let that shape your interpretation will you understand life. And I think only as you let that shape your interpretation will you understand life. For example, Craig, just the heartache, disappointment that your daughter and son just went through in an adoption situation. Yeah. They were well into the process of adopting these little twin girls, and they had invested time in the hospital. They were preemies, just loving, just holding, and had been assured by the bureaucracies, the county, that these girls were theirs and that they were great parents and the rooms were done up and is the children would be released from the hospital when they gained the strength and ability to survive on their own, that they would be theirs. And at the last moment, some bureaucratic thing came up, and basically those girls were taken from us, from my daughter and her husband, and from the family. It was unjust. It was unfair. It was phenomenally cruel and bureaucratic, no regard for my daughter or son-in-law, and it just broke our hearts. And legal actions were possible. There were all kinds of things we could have done. It would have expended a massive amount of money and time, and there was no guarantee, and it just felt wrong, horribly wrong. And particularly when the lives of two little innocent babies are involved, I felt like that God had rescued them through my daughters, and then they were stolen and taken. And I just kept thinking of the consequences and the impact, what could have been those girls' lives. And then what they had now was a horrible environment situation in adopting parents. It was wrong. Evil. 
And if you don't understand you live in Afghanistan, if you don't understand there's a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you will blame God and you will blame others and you will go to places of darkness, of shame, resignation, cynicism. This is a category that actually helps you, friends. It helps you understand the world in which you live. And if you don't operate with that, context. What is your current context? We are late in Act 3 of a larger story. We are in a vicious war. Things are heating up even more. This will help you interpret your reality. And I think the other category, because we are late in Act 3, I think another essential category, when we talk about context, you're in Afghanistan, And the context is the kingdom is coming. Mm -hmm. It really is coming. I remember years ago, I was talking earlier in our conversation when we were back on calling and dreams and hopes and desires about a young playwright and his disappointment that he probably wouldn't be a famous playwright. That probably wouldn't be his life. It just wasn't panning out. And I said to him with all sincerity, I said, oh, but Terry, you're going to be an amazing playwright in the kingdom. And we mm-hmm. will do your plays and you will be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad to say that that meant very little to him. Mm-hmm. And because most Christians don't live with the hope of the kingdom, we've put all of our hopes in this life. And it's devastating if you do that. It's absolutely devastating. You can't put all of your hopes in this life, it'll break your heart. The kingdom is coming. That is also our context. And the kingdom is very near. And you will be that great dancer. Mm -hmm. You will be that phenomenal musician. All those deep dreams and gifts and desires in you, every single one of those will come true. Every single one of them. What difference does that make? Yeah, for me, John, the difference it makes is there are just some circumstances and some things in life that will not change in this life, in Act 3. And the beauty of the coming of the kingdom is that absolutely the worst things and some of the hardships people have to live with and fight through, in the best sense of the world, is temporary. It's short term. Yeah. I mean, this will not last. This will end and everything that we were designed and yearn for and hope for and don't have in this life, we get. Yes. It's just a matter of time, and it's short. I just think of, um, I just think of the cancer wards and people dying of AIDS and sick and just the hardships and sex trade and captivity and oppression and to be able to say, this will end and all that you were designed for. A world without pain and tears will be ours. And mm. it is coming. Mm. It is breaking through now. Mm. I was watching a nature documentary the other night. They had found this new kind of coral atoll. It's a small island in the Indian Ocean. And it's just it's seen no human traffic. Just very few people have been there. They were kind of showing the beauty of a world untouched by man. Mm -hmm. It's the sin of man and the brokenness of the world. 
And the guys who had gone there had gotten there on a great adventure. And, you know, it, it was just speaking to all of that of discovery and adventure and beauty. And I'm watching this documentary and your heart can go one of two places with that. You can go, I'll never have that, right? Like all the beauty, all the things yes. we long for, you know, or you can say, you know what? I'm going there in the kingdom. Like that's actually real. Yeah. Behold, right? I restore the earth. I make all things new. The heavens, the earth, you, me. Like you actually get a restored life. Yeah. And this chapter of your life is very small. At the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book, which is called The Last Battle, at the end of that book, as Lewis is wrapping up the narrative, he says, of the children, but all of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia were only the title and cover page mm. of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Like, I know that this life of ours feels so urgent, and if you don't realize life now, you're just not going to, when in fact, when we get into the kingdom, this life will seem like the title page. <laughs> you know, it'll be a couple of paragraphs of your existence. And just the hope, the hope that all of your being, dreams, giftings, hopes, visions, desires, all of that's going to come true, sets you free to live in your current context. It sets you free now to, you betcha, you chase your dreams, you walk with your God, you fight for your calling, realizing that you're good. <laughs> you're good. You can live with the partial now, mm -hmm. and you can even live through devastating yes. suffering because the full banquet is coming, and you know it. It's guaranteed. If you hold on to those two things as part of your context, you live in Afghanistan, but the kingdom is coming, I think it will help you so much with your interpretation of your life. Amen. I hope the series has been powerful. I hope it's been meaningful, and I hope it's a transformative look at the power of interpretation. You've been listening to the series with John Eldridge and Craig McConnell. I'm Alan Arnold, and I invite you to come back next week when in the Ransomed Heart podcast, John and Stacy will be sharing about their recent trip to Normandy. Normandy.